All right. Well, we are in John chapter 11. We'll finish today in John chapter 11. Uh, If you have a Bible, open up to John 11. If you don't, these fine folks will hand you a Bible. Just raise your hand. John chapter 11. We're going to... um, We're going to go through the entirety of it today, even though we've studied it and uh, all of you have a a working knowledge of it. I want to... um, take everything we've learned to come to the conclusion of our of our text so it it all ties in and and you grasp it completely before we stand for the reading of the word of the lord uh, i wanted to share with you um this idea of bringing the dead back to life and what i've learned personally from this text um i've asked the lord to show me through his eyes the way he sees the world his heart is broken. We've seen in the passage as we've studied that he wept. We saw, we saw that last week. We, we've seen where he delays even with the ones he loves. He allows our prayers to seemingly go unanswered for a greater thing to happen later. We don't understand him. We doubt him. We struggle. He weeps when we hurt. He never meant it to be this way. Of all the people represented in the room, as we, we look at the number of faces, um, in probably, well, let's just say, in a hundred years, everyone in this room will no longer be here. A hundred percent certainty, unless Christ returns, you will all die. Well, that's a great way to start the morning. <laughs> but as I told my son, I said, on his 13th birthday, I took him for a walk about it. It was in late October. The election for assembly was early November. It was the most critical week. It was a Saturday, which was, a, which was critical because all the volunteers were out. The campaign office was packed to capacity. All the phones were in use. And I took the day off to take my son on his walkabout from 12 to 13, telling him he was ready to become a man. I took him up to the cemetery, and I had him look at the tombstones of two friends I'd buried that were my age, 50, I said, son, you begin with the end in mind. You begin with the end in mind. As a flower blooms and fades and the wind blows, its place is remembered no more. I said, what do you notice? And I had him look around. And he said, well, there aren't any, many people here. I said, nobody comes here. Seldom, if ever. I said, what else do you notice, son? And, and as he started to, you know, observe... I then pointed him to the tombstone. I said, what do you see in the tombstone? He said, well, I see a name. I said, that's Ecclesiastes 7.1. A good name is like a precious fragrance, better is the day of a man's death than the day of his birth. We only know if these people's lives were a uh, pleasant fragrance upon their death on how they lived. Everyone's born and given a name, but we don't know if that name smells good or is a stench until the end of one's life, how you lived. I said, live in such a way that your name is a fragrance and draws people, not a stench. You live for others, people are drawn to you. A life lived for others is a life well lived. A selfish life is no one will ever come visit your tombstone or remember you because you're a stench. You're rotting. Christ has not come to be served, but to serve. That's a life of fragrance. Diffusing the fragrance of Christ, it speaks of in every generation. To some, it's the aroma of life. To others, it's the aroma of death. And, and as, as I shared this with my son and I laid these things out, I pointed out there's the year of, of the man's birth and the year of his death, and in between is the dash, which is the length of a life. It's, it's, 
whatever you think is important in this life will not be in the next. If, if you're living for temporal things, you always begin with the end in mind that one day you'll stand before your creator and give an accounting of your life. I said, the other thing to remember too is the two men whose tombstones we're visiting, they're no longer here. These are the remains of the shell that they left behind. They took off one suit and put on another. We dress for church and then we dress for the beach and we dress for, it's a suit. They've left this suit behind. They put on another one. They're not here. They're not here. They're in heaven and they didn't die. They fell asleep. As we've covered in the past, you, if you're born once, you'll die twice. If you're born twice, you'll die once. It's a mystery, it's, but it's real simple to explain. If you're born once, born of the flesh, and you never reconcile yourself to God because your sin separates you, there's a big stone in the way, and it's a separation factor, your sin. If, you've, if, you, if you're not born of the Spirit, receiving Christ's forgiveness and his propitiation, his, his, the penalty he paid on behalf of the wrong we did, if you don't receive that as a free gift, be cleansed of your unrighteousness, all of your sins, past, present, and future, then you will die a second death. And then you'll be separated from God for all eternity. That's what's known as hell. And no one spoke more of hell than Christ because he didn't want anyone there. And he says, you must be born again. It was an imperative. As we studied through the book of John, it was an imperative. You must be born again. And, and we whistle when we go by graveyards. And they're all silently speaking. Your clock is ticking. It won't be long. And, and as all of this comes into view, if we're born twice, we'll only die once. And that death is not even death. Because as we'll see in the passage, he says, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus was already alive. He called him by name. He wasn't dead. He just reassumed the suit that was in rot and decay. He left Abraham's bosom paradise and seeing in the presence of God. And all of a sudden he takes on and puts on this old suit again that God reassembles uh, with, you know, basic elements, which is dirt. We're created from the dust of the earth. When we deteriorate, we go back into the basic elements of the earth. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And all God does in this tomb after four days where there's rotting that's taking place called Miston's Law. And it's, it's really how you deal with the, the rotting of a human corpse goes through all the principles of it the fourth day in the mediterranean sun and the heat of that sarcophagus god just reassembles it lazarus was already alive and so i share all that because everything needs to be in perspective through this passage for the rest of our lives this is a foundation start with the end in mind for you young folks it may seem like you can run forever and live forever and death is not even part of the equation I'll share this with you, a childhood friend, especially some of you young folks. A childhood friend I grew up with, by the age of 16, had been stabbed. Another one was hit by a car. I watched in my generation where, where people my age died when I never thought death would be something that I'd have to process at that age. One of the reasons why Jesus wept is he never intended it to be this way. It's like an architect watching after an earthquake, a structure that he had built, destroyed, and his heart is broken. This is how God looks at humanity, and he weeps. He sees what, what sin has done, what our selfishness has done, how, how, how we've, we, we've, we've become a culture of death. 
And he calls to his people to be life. Life more abundant. I'll leave this last thing before we read. During the election on my son's birthday, I said to him, Ecclesiastes 7, 1, a good name is like a precious fragrance, better is the day of a man's death than the day of his birth. And then I gave him my most prized earthly possession, which was my autograph of, from Ronald Reagan when he said, best wishes, Robert McCoy, Ronald Reagan, rubbed my head and talked to me and then he handed me the paper. And I gave this to my son. And, uh, and I said, this is for you. This man has gone the way of all the earth. His tomb is up here at the library. I said, but his name is a fragrance that changes the atmosphere of a room. And we walked into the campaign office because I had to check in because you had all these volunteers tirelessly working on behalf of this campaign. My name was everywhere on every bumper sticker, on every poster, people wearing shirts with my name. I was sick of my name. <laughs> the phones were filled. People are talking about me. They're everyone, the whole energy, life-size pictures of me that scare me to death. And, and as I walk into the campaign room, I tell everyone it's my son's birthday. They all say, happy birthday. I said, I gave him this autograph of Ronald Reagan for his birthday. Did you know that the phones, everyone put down the phones and stopped doing what they were doing, licking envelopes, sending thank you notes? They all got up and they walked over to marvel at an autograph of a man who was dead. His signature, a dead man's signature, was more impressive than a living candidate the week of his election. Because that's a life well lived. That's a fragrance. Make your life count, young folks. You've been given a name. Build on that foundation. That's why we're looking at the message today. Let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We left off um, with verse 35 that says Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. We'll pick up at verse 36. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him, speaking how Jesus loved Lazarus. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again, groaning in himself. Remember, that's the sound of a horse. <laughs> groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. We'll explain that in a moment. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench. You don't want to see it. I, I, I've already prepared the body. It's been four days. It is going to be awful in there. For he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you have sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice. And I think he had to cry because Lazarus was in glory. And he's like, I am not coming back to that place. <laughs> It almost like an imperative. Lazarus, come forth! He yelled. And he who had died came out bound, hand and foot with grave clothes. 
he had the uh, takrahim, the burial cloth around his body. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. And this was a response. The room was divided. And it will be today. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary had seen these things that Jesus did. They believed him. But some, some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus did. Some still didn't believe and they wanted to figure out this weird group of Christians and get as far away from them as possible. Lord, we ask your blessing upon the study of your word. We thank you, God, for the picture you've given us of the brevity of life. And so, God, please establish in our hearts eternity that we would live accordingly as we begin with the end in mind. Speak to us through the life, death, and life of Lazarus. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please be seated. You know, last week we looked at this concept that ideas have consequences. And the ideas are ideas of life or ideas of death. And as these ideas, these philosophies are implemented, they either create life or they, they, they promote life or they promote death. We took a look at, at political structures. We took a look at all these things. And, and yet this is where we are. And yet still folks marvel at this idea of how can you take the scriptures and have them speak into the civic world? How can you take the scriptures, something as simple as John 11, and, and tie it around things that we're dealing with on, on the landscape in our community, our state, or our nation, or our world? People sometimes resent that. This idea that it's all about the gospels. It's just simply about getting people saved. The scripture commands us in 2 Timothy 2.15 that we study to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen and women who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Titus 1.9 says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so they may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. Well, that's the qualifications of a minister. This is my job. I'm to equip you with sound doctrine to rebuke those who would contradict it. Why do these philosophies not work? You need to have a biblical understanding of why. Don't despise that that's my job to educate you. That's my calling. Those are the pastoral epistles. That's Titus. That's what I'm called to do. And so when we look at texts like like John 11 and and the implementation of it and the application of it, I, I am looking at what we're dealing with in current affairs and how learning this can equip us to deal with that. So, understand this. Because today as we conclude our study in in John 11, let's put it into perspective. We're going to go back to the beginning of 11 just to give us an understanding of how we get to the end of it. We're going to briefly do some refreshing We know that a certain man, Lazarus of Bethany, he was sick. He had two sisters, Mary and Martha. They came to Jesus, and this is the same Mary that anointed um, Jesus with fragrant oil that we're going to see in the next chapter. And Lazarus was sick. They said to him, Lord, behold, he who you love is sick. They had a great relationship with the Lord. Every time he came through Bethany, he stayed at their house. 
He loved Lazarus. He loved Mary. He loved Martha. Loved these folks. And they were faithful to feed his disciples, and they were always doing these mega meals, and it was the place to be. Mary's house was renowned in Bethany. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he said, The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So Mary and Martha take heart in the statement of Jesus that this isn't a sickness unto death, and they run back to the house with excitement that their brother's going to live. But it says here, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, because it's going to seem like he doesn't, because he lets him die. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. So he delays. When God delays and it bothers us. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews have sought to stone you. Why are we going back there? Because to go and heal Lazarus, they're going into the land where they already had to put a hit on Jesus. And Jesus goes on to uh, point out that there's 12 hours in a day and we don't have to worry about these things. But in verse 11, he says, these things he said that after he said them, he said, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I might wake him. Well, then the disciples say, Lord, if he sleeps, let him get well. Sleep's good. We don't need to go back there and get killed. Let's stay away from that area. But Jesus was speaking of the death of Lazarus, and they thought he was speaking about Lazarus taking sleep. Then Jesus said to them, listen, you guys obviously aren't getting it. (laughs) He said, Lazarus is dead. Now, that seems like a contradiction. Jesus said, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Mary and Martha head back to their home, overjoyed. The disciples hear Jesus say plainly, listen, fellas, he's dead. He is assumed room temperature. He is taking a dirt nap. And then he adds this. He says, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there when he died that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. I'm glad for your sakes that he's dead. Now I got news for you. that For all of us who have lost loved ones, I'm one included. This didn't make any sense. I had, I had lunch on Thursday. It was an important meeting. I was actually up at my in-law's house for my mother-in-law's birthday. I came down for the meeting, went back up, celebrated her birthday, and then drove all night to get back for two meetings yesterday. And, and I came back for this meeting. I, I could have missed it, but it was a meeting with a very important person. And this very important person had been an adversary uh, in, in both campaigns I participated in. And this, this person oversees a very important organization in our community. And it asked to have lunch. And I don't have enemies, I have opportunities. And, and so I struggled. I mean, there were websites that were made that were mean. I mean, viciously mean. There were things that were said, things that were done. It was, it was very not nice. <laughs> and I was hurt. And a friend said to me, you need to let that go. I said, you're right. So I went to lunch. I sat down with this person and two other people that were part of this organization as we sat down to talk, went through the small talk and the like, and they asked me questions. I started to share, and 
they started to realize I wasn't who they thought I was and all these other things. And we started communicating and there was a, there was tension on, on that side. I could sense it. Lord gave me discernment. And through the course of it, I shared with this person exactly what I shared with you earlier about my son, his 13th birthday, a precious na- a good name is like a precious fragrance. I shared with the idea of starting with the end in mind, um, that everything we do is eternal, that we're going to give an accounting to God. I'm, I'm sharing this. And, and, you know, as a sitting city council member, I'm sharing this. I'm talking God things. And, and I started to share why I'm doing what I'm doing and the purposes of it. And this one person, and, and I, I had gotten to know him, prayed. I knew that they were Catholic. I knew that they were hurt because their father had died when they were in their 40s. This person was in their 40s. Their father had died. Just couldn't grasp it. Loved their father. Loved him deeply. And was, just couldn't let go of it. And so the conversation centered around that somewhat. And, and just they're, they're lovely people. I got to see them. Everyone can be a bad person, Right? But, but you endeavor, you, you, you try to reach their, their heart. And, and they, when they saw mine, they gave me theirs. It was, it was a sweet moment. And um, I, I shared with them. And then at the end, they said, what can this organization do for you, Rob? I said, well, that's a very generous question. I said, and I'll make it simple. Don't ever treat another person the way you treated me. Because you've been given a gift from God. And that gift, an unguarded strength, is a weakness. And if we're going to build this community with the gifts that you've been given, and this community needs you, we have to look long term. We want to leave it better for our kids and our grandkids. And it's only going to be done by civility and kindness and honoring the things of God. And that person looked and said, I'm sorry, and I hear you, and you have my word. As we were walking out, the other two went ahead, and I took this man, and I said, you are a very astute businessman. And he, he is, gifted. And I said, does it ever bother you? When someone who knows nothing about business tries to tell you how to run your business. He goes, oh gosh, yes. I said, you're angry your dad died and you think God screwed it up. I said, do you know he holds the heavens in the span of his hand? You don't have any idea how to guide a star through the night sky. And you're trying to tell God how to run his business? I said, I didn't have any reason to come here today because I was hurt. But a friend of yours told me that you're a good man and I need to let it go. I said, you're upset with God and you need to let it go. He knows what he's doing. And you need to get back in church. Sweet man. And he got it. And there there was a tenderness to that. Folks, I don't know. Some of you do know. You all got professions. At this gravesite, there's professional mourners. They're paid to mourn. There's there's morticians. There's priests. There's bakers and candlestick makers. Bakers. All that. And you all have professions. But put it into perspective. 
We're all found here in John 11. You do not understand the fullness of life until you've come to terms with death. And you, you want to live in such a way that you're going to breathe your last on this earth and inhale your first in heaven and stand before God with everything you've done and the way you've lived. And you'll give an accounting to him. Or you can choose to fight him and be angry because he didn't do it the way you wanted it done. Mary and Martha could have said, I don't have time for you, God. You got it wrong. You said that this sickness would not be unto death. I buried him. I wrapped him in the Takrahim. I covered him with spices. He stinks. He's rotting. You even told your disciples, because they told us, you said to them when we left your presence that Lazarus is dead. You can argue with God. You will not win. He knows what he's doing. Quit messing with his business. You have no idea the significance of how he operates. Take him at his word. Trust him. Harboring this anger because this, you're the center of the, of the universe. And your pain is, is greater or your hurt is more than anyone else's. Step outside yourself. Keep giving your life away. Keep serving. Don't harbor pain. Don't harbor hurt. Make, they're not enemies. They're opportunities. Go and love them. Put down the weapons. Contend in the marketplace for ideas that bring life. Step into their world and show them. Study to show yourself approved. Give instruction in sound doctrine. Rebuke those who contradict it. Challenge them. And if the, if the arguments are sound, they'll be moved. But remember, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're spiritual. When Tom Adams invited you to prayer and we talked about the significance of prayer, you want to know God's will, you find it on your knees in prayer and in his word. Prayer is not an exercise in futility. It is saying, God, I really don't get this. I need help. I need my heart to be softened. I, I need to be able to go to that lunch and not be bitter. Help me, God. I can tell you that these women were praying while they were burying. Their faith was being rocked. And Jesus is telling the disciples, I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there and he died. The disciples' faith is being rocked. What are you talking about? And Thomas is thinking to himself, we might as well just all go there and die together. And everything is confusing. Everything's overwhelming. Who's the author of confusion? Satan. We have the ability to trust. I don't understand you, God, but I trust you. Because I, I rest on the things I do know about you because that makes it easier for the things I don't understand about you to know that whatever you're doing, you're doing together for good. I can handle that. It's like your parents saying, trust me. If you had good parents. Somebody you trust deeply saying, trust me. That's, that's the idea. So... When Jesus came, he found that the tomb, and he'd already been in the tomb four days. And that was two days prior. He'd already been there four days. So he was dead by the time that Mary and Martha had gotten to him, and now he's four days in the tomb, and it's awful. 
Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem. was about two miles away. Many of the Jews had joined the women around the, uh, Mary and Martha to comfort them concerning their brother. Everybody's weeping. The town is sobbing. Lazarus is loved. Mary's loved. Martha's loved. They're all hurt. Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she didn't go, I want nothing to do with him. He said it wouldn't be unto death, but she doesn't do that. She still trusted the Lord. And the scripture says that she went to meet with him. But Mary was sitting in the house and Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my, bro- my brother wouldn't have died. We all have that line we give to the Lord of why we're upset with him. God, had you just been there when my daddy left, he would have never left. I mean, whatever the line is, we all have it. Let the Lord hear it and then let it go. And of course, this was the conversation around the dinner table for the family. And she says, but even now I know whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Lord, I still trust you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. This is an interesting one. Your brother will rise again. <laughs> Haven't you ever heard of Istan's law, God? Don't, don't you know what happens to a corpse? The decomposition of a corpse? By the fourth day, the organs are all jello. The joints have loosened. The body takes on this off that the, the eyes dissolve. The brain turns to fluid. It, it's this. It, it is probably the worst season. This is this is in the the tradition of the Jews that the that the spirit hovers over the body until it doesn't recognize it anymore. And they say on the fourth day it's gone because it's going. I, I, this doesn't rec- that this is this is awful. I remember the coroner sharing with me that there was a. A woman whose husband had died, uh, he had fallen, uh, hit his head while he was cleaning his boat, sank to the bottom. They didn't know where he was. Found him days later as the corpse floated to the surface, carting him away. And the woman says, I want to see him. You do not want to see him. This was always the thing for me as a sheriff's chaplain that the folks would always want to see the body. I'd I'd do my best to say, you don't want to see the body. No, I want to say goodbye. Well, the minute that they said that and they were consistent, it was my job to be their advocate and to help them. But I would explain to them, they're not going to look like what you've imagined them. This is going to be the last vision you'll have. It's going to be difficult. I want to see them. I say, okay. Martha gets it. Mary gets it. He's four days in this tomb. And, and the reason why they called a sarcophagus, sar- sarcophagus means flesh eater. It's made out of limestone. Sucks the moisture out. All the the microorganisms go to town on the body and, and, and what they do is they put the corpse within three hours into the sarcophagus because they don't want to be diseased they wrap it in the Tachrahim which is a burial cloth the Havra Kadesh which is a holy society washes the body wraps it in the uh, Tachrahim ties the feet ties the, uh, the, the face uh, wraps them in the burial clothes this is their mitzvah this is, this is their, their honor their duty and then they put the, the corpse inside the sarcophagus, which it means flesh-eating. And, and then after, uh, I think, a year, uh, they, they go into the sarcophagus, and the flesh-eating sarcophagus has done its work, and all that remains are the bones, and they take the bones and they put them in an ossuary, and that is now where they keep the bones, in the ossuary. And, and this is how they do a burial in Israel. And he's already in the flesh-eating sarcophagus. He's four days in there. And these microorganisms are going to town and they're destroying it. And this body is rotting. He's been there four days. 
And Jesus says to her, your, your brother will rise again. Is, is there anyone in here that, that you've been asking God for something and something else happened and it seems absolutely impossible? Like you got the term stage four. Uh, you, you, you've been given a death sentence. Or you don't, don't raise your hand, but give me something that just seems insurmountable and impossible to overcome. Yeah, okay. I said be quiet, but that's good. <laughs> but that's a good one, Weston. It is. That's actually an excellent one. Drug addiction. You, you have, you've, you've been through rehab more times than the Pope has appointments. And, and there's just no way. You've begged God. You've cried out to Him. And God says, I'm going to deliver you from this. You read some of the stories of folks that amazing. Jim Cimbala is one of my favorite authors, and I, I read stories about folks in the B- Brooklyn Tabernacle that have come to Christ that, you know, um, 85 pounds, uh, heroin addict, waiting for the hospital open so they can go in there and die. And, and they had been told two years earlier that when you cry out to God and you ask Jesus to save you, that will change everything. And they're on their deathbed, and they, they, they start to do that. All the voices go away. And, and so... Here, she, she hears something that is seemingly impossible, and, and she responds with what she knows of Scripture. Bless her heart. She says, I know that he will rise again in the, in the resurrection at the last day. Lord, I know that. I, I know he's sleeping. I know that this is his remains. This is his suit. He's left this behind. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection. God, I know your word. I trust you. But then Jesus turns to her and he says, and, and I want you to hear this today because Jesus is saying it to you. He said, I am the resurrection. I don't know who you're waiting for, but I'm here, the Lord says to you. I don't know what you've been banking on, what you've been investing in, but the Lord says to you today, I am the resurrection, I'm here. Not only am I the resurrection, I'm the life. I'm the life. And if you believe in me, Jesus says, though you die, you will live. That's pretty cool. Anyone else offering you that? handful of nickels with a purple suit and a spaceship that's going to come over remember that guy <laughs> yeah or maybe we can go to guiana and drink some kool-aid heaven's gate whatever jesus saying you believe in me though you die you will live and then he says and whoever lives and believes in me you ready for this one whoever believes in, in me Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Even that perceived first death isn't it. You're just taking off a suit, putting on a new one. And then he asked these four words that we have to deal with this morning. Do you believe this? You can't leave here without answering that question. Do you believe this? And now we come to the conclusion. When she had said these things, she went her way and secretly, secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly, came to him. Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha had met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house, comforting her. When they saw Mary rise up quickly, they went out, they followed her, saying, she's going to the tomb to weep there. Then Mary came to where Jesus was, and when she saw him, she fell down at his, at his feet and repeated the same mantra, Lord, if you had been here, my mother, brother would not have died. Everybody's got their line. 
Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come there with her weeping, he groaned in his spirit. We covered that last week. He was troubled, meaning he was angry. And he said, where have you laid him? You know why he's angry? I told you this last week. He never intended it to be like this. He is, he, is, he is an architect and a builder who has watched an earthquake destroy his structure. You and I have been created in his image, and he has seen what sin has done to all of you and me. Your selfishness, your greed, your, your addictions, your hurt, your unforgiveness, your bitterness, what you do in secret, your thoughts, where you've gone, the way you've spoken of others the way you've created death in your relationships, death in your, in your physical nature, death in, in, in the community around you, the, the, the way in which you've sown seeds of discord and, and dis- destruction and, and the whispering and the gossiping and the, the backbiting. And, the, and he's looking at all of us, including me. And, and everybody's got their issues. Everybody's lied. Everybody's lied. If you say you haven't, you have. You just did. Every everybody's everybody's talk smack. Everybody's watched something you shouldn't have and probably continue to. Taken something you shouldn't have, continue to. Been somewhere you shouldn't have been. And and here we are, riddled in sin, and his heart breaks and he weeps. He's seen what the enemy the this this harbinger of death has done to his creation and he's come that you might have life and what even breaks his heart more is he looks at it a room where people would reject so great a salvation and he says take me take me to where you've laid him it's time it's time to conclude this story and blow your mind now take me to where you laid him Yes, we all understand he's rotted. We all understand this is impossible. We all understand that the things God said seem to have contradicted. We all understand that we're hurt. We all understand that God somehow has let us down. We all understand this. We've spent three weeks covering this. We all have it. Now let's come to the conclusion of the story. Where's it going to bring us? Take me to where you laid him. Take me to where you have laid him. And they said, Lord, come and see. Now Jesus wept. He wept. And he weeps now because he knows you're hurting and he's hurting too. And he's not sobbing uncontrollably. He's got tears that, that come down with a, a, a man's man who's controlled. And men don't, don't cry. Our eyes just sweat. <laughs> and he's weeping. And they look at him and they can tell by the tears that have welled up and start to trickle down his face. They can look at him and say, see how, he's lo- how he loved him. He loves you. He loves Lazarus. He loves Mary. He loves Martha. He loves you even, even though to you he doesn't make sense. He loves you in the midst of it. He's not letting you go. I told you the story about my daughter when she had to have her head sewn, right? Do you remember that? And she's screaming, saying, Daddy, how can you let them do this to me? She had no idea. I did. She didn't. God does. You don't. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Everybody's got, everybody's got ideas of how God's supposed to operate. And I, all, I have, all I have to tell you, if you're one of those, which we all have been, including me, 
I'm listening to myself. All I can tell you is, where were you when God created the foundations of the earth? And he guides Orion through the night sky. The earth is spinning at hundreds of thousands of miles an hour and he keeps all of you planted firmly on it through the law of gravity, which we can't explain. He's keeping your heart beating and your lungs moving. He's doing all of this, causing all the receptacles in your eyes to be able to take in colors he's created. He's fashioned and molded and shaped. He hears every prayer. He moves on every thought, every concern, everything. The the sun rises and the sun sets right every season on time. The, The rains fall, the snow covers the mountains. Then the summer sun melts it. It comes down so it can feel feel the, uh, flood the fields and, and, and flourish the crops and then you eat well, what part of that do you control I'm a self made man no what part of yourself did you make and the arrogance of man to shake his fist at a God that even to, to look at him who holds the heavens in the span of his hand and we're 93 million miles away from the sun which is the next that's the biggest constellation we have And you're 93 million miles from that, traveling at the speed of light, you couldn't get there in a reasonable amount of time. Let alone get to the edges of the universe. And he holds that right here, and you're going to tell him? Everybody's got an idea. Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also kept this man from dying? Everybody's got a way on how it's supposed to work. Now that I'm in office, letters are so much fun. Everybody's got an idea on how the city's supposed to run. I crack up and I'm reading them and I'm thinking there's so much you have no idea about that I too didn't have an idea about until I'm here. And I'm thinking, yes, you're opinionated and you're angry and you've got all kinds of reasons that you have justified and you're being visceral in your comments and you're attacking people's character all because you're upset. And you have no idea what you're talking about. Until you engage, until you learn, until you participate. We'd rather just be angry. And he looks at these naysayers and he bypasses them. And then Jesus, groaning at himself again, verse 39, he came to the tomb. It was a cave. The stone was laid against it. And it's a rich man's tomb. It was hewn into the, into the wall of the, of the rock. And then they had a trough built underneath and then they take this round stone. You'll see it when you go to Israel. Hint, hint, wink, wink. And you, you roll this massive ton stone and it just falls into the, into the trough you made and it covers the tomb. Grave robbers can't get it. It's required all kinds of lifting. And he comes to this and, he, and, and this is fascinating to me. In a moment, you're going to hear Jesus cry with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! And this dead man, his body reassembles. He, just the, the liquidy nature of the, the corruption of his body. And the maggots dissipate and they all run. The flies dissipate and then things all start to come together. The cells reform. Now that's pretty cool, right? But this is what blows my mind away. He comes to the, he comes to the tomb and he turns to everybody and says take the stone away I'm going to write a letter to Jesus I don't understand why you couldn't have just exploded the stone just shown him how to do it you're God stone 
Frisbee it. I don't know. Stone be gone. But what does he do? He says, You take the stone away. Do you want God to revive a certain area of your life? Do you want life to come to where there's death right now, corrupting and destroying you? Then cooperate with him. He's going to give you a chance. He he wants you to remove a stone that hinders him from being with you. What are you watching? What are you drinking? What are you eating? What are you listening to? Who are you hanging around with? Cooperate with the Lord and get rid of that. That's a hindrance. Remove that stone. Hebrews says, Therefore we also, since we're surrounded so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. What are you holding on to? Why don't you remove that stone from your life to let God in to revive you? That's a really good application for today. Look in your medicine cabinet. What needs to go? What's, what's hidden up in the closet? What do you got in your car? What do you got on your computer? I mean... It wouldn't take long to figure out what the stones are. What are the things that you don't want anyone knowing you're doing? Those are hindrances to God reviving what it is he wants to do. It's real simple. Fungus only grows in the dark. And that stone in your life is a fungus that's destroying you. It's black mold. Corrupting the life in your bones. And God turns to them and he says, you remove the stone. You move the stone. Take away the stone. I love Martha's response, the sister of him who was dead, because Martha, you know, she's the clean lady. She's like, she's got Febreze and poopery and all the other stuff. And and she said, Lord, by this time there's a stench. And he's been dead four days. I don't think we have enough Febreze to do anything with this. I just don't know if we can do anything with a Febreze. Because she's thinking he wants to see the body. She's she's beyond the idea of this idea that that your brother will rise again. She thinks he just wants to come in and see the body. The coroner, when the woman said, I want to see my husband who had drowned, I won't go through the depiction of it, but it it was one of the most nauseating descriptions I've ever heard of what occurred. gag a maggot it was so bad that was my mother's mother-in-law's comment and and that's that's what martha's thinking you want to see the body and it's it's you don't want to see the body this this is awful jesus said to her he says to us and this is this is the conclusion of the story if you're willing to remove the stone from your life that hinder god reviving you it's time to come in, and here's where the revival comes. Ready? Did I not say to you, this is Jesus speaking to you and to me, 
Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you. What is he doing? He's praying. That's why we call for prayer. It's the power. We don't, we don't war against flesh and blood. Our weapons are not carnal. This is a spiritual battle that requires us to be on our knees. You want victory? Come to prayer. And, and, and this is what Jesus does. Jesus' public life of power was a result of his private life of prayer. First thing he does is he prays. Because you want to bring anyone back to life? It begins with prayer. You want your kids? You want your kids to be revived? You want your community strengthened? You want your nation back? It begins with prayer. There is no revival that's ever occurred on the face of the earth that hasn't first resulted by prayer. Concentrated, orchestrated prayer. Not talking about prayer, praying. We don't even know how to pray. Come and learn how to pray. The disciples asked Jesus, not once but twice, teach us how to pray. They saw everywhere he went, he was praying and things were happening. You want something to happen? You want to be revived? Remove the stone, lift up your hands and speak to the Father. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. You begin with thanks. That's why we always begin with thanks in our prayer service on Sunday nights. I thank you that you've heard me and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I say this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. Here we go. Prayer has done it. The stones have been removed. We're ready for God to move in our life. But the conclusion of the story this morning doesn't include Lazarus' name. I want you to hear Jesus yell your name nice and loud as he calls you forth into life. Because he didn't raise Lazarus to take up oxygen. He was raising up Lazarus to testify to the world that he is alive and he's the author of life. And no one can contend with a man who once was dead and now is alive. God wants to take your testimony as he calls you forth from this misery and revive you. As you roll the stone away, he wants to lift you and use you. And as he prays and you're praying and all of us are interceding on behalf of our kids, calling them forth from the grave for our relatives, our loved ones, our neighbors, our enemies, our friends. I don't care who it is, our politicians. And we're calling forth and saying, God, revive them. Jesus yells, and he yells with conviction, Lazarus, come forth! What is it going to take? You're in the bosom of Abraham. You're content. God wants to use you. Come forth. Get up. Take off those silly grave clothes. Whatever's binding you, remove it. Let's go. Come forth. And he comes up. And you can imagine. They're floored. Loose him. Let him go. Okay, 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 okay. And Jesus said, well, loose him and let him go. And, and the Jews who had come to Mary, they'd seen these things. And that's why he did it. It's all about getting people to understand that you begin with the end in mind. 
And they believed. They believed. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus did. That's sad. Later on, they try to put a hit on Lazarus. They try to put a hit on Lazarus because it contradicted what it was they were trying to accomplish, that there is no resurrection. There is no hope beyond the grave. It, 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 this whole Christianity thing is a myth. Uh, you know, you, this zeitgeist, uh, you, you just... Christianity's a farce and, and, and you're, you're, you're a cosmic accident and there's no order to the universe and, and, and Nietzsche was right and just, just take life and scream into the universe and, and, and somehow grasp a, a, an understanding of, of significance in, in, an, in a, a universe that just takes your voice and lets it dissipate into nothingness. Send out a probe that'll go all the way to Pluto until it doesn't send a signal back anymore. Somehow come to grips with who you are. And the emptiness of that is just pathetic. Or today, come forth unto life and reconnect with a God who made you in his image and has given you the ability to love, that you might have life and life more abundant and meaning and purpose. That as you come forth from the grave of the misery of this earth to minister to others and let them know as you testify, I once was dead, but now I'm alive. And God did this. And all he asked me to do was to remove the stone and I did. That. That's living. But some of you I can yell at you and you still won't come forth. You now know the way, the truth, and the life. It's Jesus Christ. And I leave you with this last thought. I was invited to go on a vacation with somebody that I could have never afforded. I was their guest. I won't go into detail, but there was a personal chef. Oh, yeah. And you'd sit down at every meal, and it wasn't my kind of deal. And they come in and go, okay, so today what we've done here is I've got, this is a, a glaze, such and such, with a cream bechamel. And I'm like, what? Just food. Lots now. Shovel it. What are these things? But he was, he was having fun with it, and he would smoke this and, you know, cure that and do this and present it. And, and, and while everyone else was doing their thing, I was in there talking to him about the Lord. His name was David. And he had come to the Bahamas, and I was telling him about the Lord, and he had kind of grown up there, and I was sharing with him. And he's like, yeah, I'm not really into the Christianity thing. You know, and, and, and I, I kept talking to him, what are you into? And, 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 and I was, I'd studied to show myself approved. I was, I was bringing down every argument that stood in opposition to the Lord. I was dealing in doctrine. I wouldn't let him off. He was uncomfortable. I just said, but I kept lovingly, you know, and, and, and I was interested in what he was doing, but I was also interested in who he was and where he was going. And, and I'm not like that. Anyone who's around me knows I'm not the evangelist type. I don't walk up and go, you know, you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. I wanted to This was a burden God had given me. Every morning I wake up, I just have a burden to talk to him. Every time I saw him, I, had to, I wouldn't go. I'd love to spearfish. I'd love to hang out in the coral reefs and everything. But I was called to be with him. And, and it was fascinating in that sense. I just got news. And this guy was 31 years old, I think. Just got news. He had a, an aggressive melanoma or something, 30 days 
after diagnosis, he's dead. And the, the people who had paid for the trip and the, the personal chef, they say, I said, yeah, but let me share with you what I told him. And they were overjoyed because they love the Lord. I said, I, I, I've been raised from death to life to testify of Jesus. And we begin with the end in mind. Let's do it right. Let's have some fun with it. May God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord, thank you for your word. And we thank you for John 11 and the life of Lazarus. Well, I should say the life, death, and life of Lazarus. And so, Lord, we're grateful. Bless these folks. Encourage them. Let them see themselves in the equation that they too would honor you with their lives. They've been called forth by name. And you've saved them. Saved them unto good works, prepared beforehand that they would walk in those. So empower them by your spirit and use them for your glory. And we thank you, God, this day for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.